And it is another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com or Podbeam or iTunes or Google Play, wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show. And we are thankful that you are listening. I was speaking at a church this past Sunday at West Park Baptist Church, and a guy came up and said, I just wanted to put a face with the voice. And so he's listening to the show and, and very grateful and thankful uh, that folks are listening and tuning in. Hopefully, uh, you know, an hour on this show and then a, another hour with my buddy Jason Hayes on between Sundays on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, hopefully two hours of my voice is enough for you each and every week. Uh, we, we are grateful to be here today. We're going to talk about a couple of things. One thing I want to start with, there's an article over at National Review talking about our, uh, disunited states and kind of how we're, we're angry. We're angry people, both sides of the aisle and every, everywhere in between. And I want to start there and, and talk about how the abortion culture kind of has uh, led to where we are today. And then I want to look at some news coming out of South Dakota, the South Dakota's governor uh, looking to end abortion uh, when it comes to babies with Down syndrome. And we're going to talk about that. And then uh, we're going to look at uh, some some policies that, that Joe Biden's administration is already talking about. And, and the reason I want to bring that up is I want to bring it up because when we when we put our hope in men, when we put our hope in whoever has the Oval Office and we put our hope in executive orders, uh, well, don't be surprised when someone else takes office and they just enact their own executive orders. And so that's what we're that's what we're going to see with the Biden administration is we're just going to see policies that we saw under Obama uh, that went away when Trump came in. And so that that's just part of it. That's par for the course when it comes to politics. And uh, it's frustrating. Certainly it's frustrating and. Uh, you know, we kind of take two steps forward and, and then three steps back at times. Uh, but that, that's what happens in politics. And, and so we talk about it on this show, but we talk about it just so you can be aware. I don't talk about it because I want you to put all your hope in what happens in Washington. Because that's not the case. We need to be active and engaged within our community, loving our neighbors well, serving those that are in need. And when we do that, we see the culture shift. Uh, but when we put our, all our eggs in the politics basket, we're not really going to see a culture shift. Culture changes don't happen through politics. Politics happens through the changing of our culture. And so when we, when the church stands up and speaks out and loves well, then we'll see a shift. But when we align ourselves with just one party and we, we start to blur that line between gospel and politics, that becomes a problem. It becomes a problem. But first, I want to start with an article over at National Review that I think is very, very good. And it says this, In preparation for Election Day, Manhattan businesses boarded up in fear that violence would erupt if Donald Trump won a re-election. They had seen an already or already experienced destruction during the summer when George Floyd's death and a series of deaths at the hands or knee, a police set off legitimate protests as well as outright violent riots and looting. Now that our nation's capital has, has has had to become a militarized zone because of the violence that descended on the Capitol building itself, with both houses of Congress present, we know that violence is a bipartisan problem. It's a poison in our national bloodstream, and it's taking on a new, dangerous life. 
Four years ago, the day after Trump's inauguration, protesters who already wanted him impeached led violent demonstrations in D.C. This year, people whipped up by the president seemed to be on the hunt for the vice president for simply doing his job. This didn't happen overnight or just since Election Day, and it wasn't merely inspired by or in reaction to the violence over the summer. It would be wrong to pretend it's confined to Trump voters or that all Trump voters are prone to violence or condone it. Not all Black Lives Matters protesters are violent. Similarly, most of the people at the Trump rally were peaceful. No one should be canceled or shunned simply for having been there. Some were there because they don't trust the media. Some were there because they fear that. Under Democrats' rule, their views on some fundamental issues such as life and marriage will become unacceptable. It was the minority who wound up inside the Capitol, some of them entering by force and others caught up in the moment. However it happened, consequences are necessary, and there always must be uh, consequences when there is violence, which is why we need to examine what all this violence says about who we have become as a people. The Trump administration brought back federal executions, which a Biden administration will mercif- mercifully reverse. We should be haunted by some of the executions. All of those who were executed were convicted of heinous murders. And in some of the cases, the murders were a result of illness and lives that never knew anything but the violence of abuse, raped repeatedly as a child, abandoned by a mother who wanted to kill you. These aren't excuses, but they shouldn't, they should be alarms to do better for children. As the coronavirus and our responses have brought with them a tidal wave of mental anguish for people, children in desperate home situations have become nearly invisible when schools aren't open for physical attendance in the classroom. And while we're examining our conscience about the heightened tendency toward violence in our midst, let's recall that the entertainment we consume matters. If it's all violence and death, that becomes a part of us. It doesn't cause someone to wake up one morning, get on a plane, and storm the Capitol building, or loot a Best Buy under the guise of protesting racial injustice. But some, entertainment does desensitize us to just how evil it is to hurt or kill or dehumanize. And don't we dehumanize in all sorts of ways, whether by being transactional in our daily lives or indifferent or worse to people we encounter who are begging for money or who are off to the side overcome by addiction. And we absolutely have to address abortion in a new way. It's the most intimate violence there is. And with the rise of chemical abortion, women are now sometimes sent home to deal with it on their own to know you chose the death of your child. If only women knew how many opponents of abortion pray, and not in any kind of judgmental way, for those who have found themselves having an abortion. We know there's anguish. There's often so much fear and a loss of freedom. It's so often the opposite of what the rhetoric suggests. Joe Biden has suggested that he was elected to help us heal as a nation. If he is going to make good on that promise, he could take a new position on abortion and become a transformational leader. Yes, his church tells him that abortion is wrong, but Pope Francis himself has repeatedly said that abortion is not a religious issue. It's a human rights issue. Abortion is wrong because it takes a life and destroys the most natural bond there is. Abortion ends a human life, and it's ending us. A near half century of this is making us into a people who are finding it's more and more difficult to come together for the common good. Our differences are making it harder to unite around anything, so we board up windows and barricade government buildings for fear of what people might do, believing the worst about institutions and leaders and our neighbors. When we pressure women to deny the humanity of the child in their womb, whom and what can we trust? There are so many elements to the pandemic that are ailing the hearts of our nation, but we'd be delusional to ignore the long-term consequences of abortion on our culture. 
When we throw away our most vulnerable, we'll seek to throw away elections and opponents and everyone we've come to perceive as an enemy in any way. The throwaway culture is a prompt for national reflection, and every leader can help guide us to something more life-giving and tender. So much is so harsh these days. Consider our rhetoric. Consider our politics. A suedo religion. Consider our laws and protocols that say that those who are the most vulnerable are less than human. We don't have to be an angry, violent people. Rid ourselves of unnecessary violence and death, and we may be able to begin to see what's worth preserving. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution have some thoughts, for starters. And, and that's a great piece. Look, folks, we, we it's something that we've said on this show many, many times. If we devalue life in the womb, and we, we devalue life at, at the end stage with doctor-assisted suicide and, and euthanasia, then don't be surprised when we devalue life everywhere in between. Look, we, we've talked over and over and over about this. Whether it comes to capital punishment or it's some crazy person walking into a bar and shooting it up. The reason these things happen so flippantly with little conversation is because we are a culture that dehumanizes. We are a culture that... that that leads with issue. And so we see things as issues instead of as people that bear the image of God. And so we find ourselves in a, in a tough situation. Now, what the article, what the person writing this article and what I would say, they're not saying that capital punishment and abortion is exactly the same thing. Now, you would argue, well, the abortion deals with an innocent human being and capital punishment deals with somebody that was convicted and found guilty. That is true. Those are two different things. The question is, as a society and as a culture, what is this doing to us? What is it doing to us? Why do you have people go to Washington, D.C. and break break windows and enter the Capitol, calling for uh, the hanging and, and, and killing of politicians? Why do you have people go into the streets and riot and loot a Target or a, a shoe store or a car dealer lot? People that had nothing to do with with anything, just riot and looting within your community. Why do we do that? Because we have dehumanized the folks around us. You know, and, and for a while, you know, some people would argue, well, it's the, the video games or it's the movies, it's Hollywood, it's it's how we see death. But nowadays, it's not just this fake fantasy death. We are able to see real death on our phones. How many of you watched the video of the, the lady being shot while she was in the Capitol? How many of you have seen videos where uh, people have lost their lives when they were in police custody? How many of you have seen videos where, where something happened and you saw somebody lose their life? You can even go back as far as when Saddam Hussein was hung. There's video of that. When Gaddafi was pulled out into the streets, there's video of that. You see, so, so we're seeing all of this through our phones and on TV. And it all of a sudden becomes not real life to us, even though it is real life. It's really happening. And so then we find ourselves being uh, desensitized to what is going on around us. And then we find ourselves saying, oh, well, they got com- they got what was coming to them. You ever said that? You ever found yourself say, well, we should make that area a parking lot. Just drop a bomb on them. You ever said that? 
rightly or wrongly, on, on what the military policy should be, a Christian flippantly saying that says a lot about our heart. And I would argue the abortion culture that for years has said the most vulnerable in our society that are growing in the womb are less than human has played a major role in this. Now, some folks don't want to admit that. And for a long time, the church was silent on that. But what are we doing to to care for and love the image bearers around us, those in the womb included? What do we see during the pandemic? What do we see right there, right before the summer in New York and Michigan and other states? When the elderly got sick with COVID, they were putting them right back into the nursing home with all the other vulnerable people. Why? Because they said they needed room in the hospitals. They needed room in the hospitals. So they put sick people with the most vulnerable people to, to get the virus. So what they were saying was, was, look, you know, I don't want them to get sick, but, you know, if anybody's going to get sick, we need to let the elderly get it. And they're already, they've lived a great life. No, we're dehumanizing them. They've been locked up for months. Living in a nursing home or assisted living home is already somewhat dehumanizing. And now we find ourselves saying, yeah, but you can't visit them. You can wave at them through the window, talk to them on the phone. And in certain parts of the country, we're going to put even sicker people in there with you. Because you know what? We need room for the other folks. You see, when we do that, when we dehumanize at the earliest stage in the womb, and we dehumanize at the latest stage, then again, folks, don't be surprised when we dehumanize everywhere in between. And the church has got to do better. It's one thing for a secular world to make those characterizations. It's another thing for the church. And the church has to step up in these moments and refuse to follow the, the, the path set by a secular culture. So are we prepared to, to stand up in a loving way? To be there for those moms that are struggling. To be there for the elderly that are in assisted living in nursing homes. To love them the way Jesus would have us love. We'll be back. As we continue the conversation, look, today what we're going to do is we're just going to look across the board. And what we're going to find is an abortion culture is a culture that dehumanizes. It just does. It dehumanizes out of convenience. It dehumanizes because we don't have the money. It dehumanizes because I, I, I prefer my career over my baby. It dehumanizes by, uh, look, I'm just not at a place right now to have a child. Or, like we are, we're seeing in, in parts of the world, it dehumanizes because, well, my child may have Down syndrome and, and I just, you know, I don't want to bring that child into the world. And this is what South Dakota's governor was talking about in her State of the State address earlier this month.
And, and there's an article over at National Review talking about this. In her State of the State address earlier this, this month, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem called on the state legislature to prohibit abortions chosen because the unborn child has been diagnosed with Down syndrome. You may know Governor Christie, uh, known from South Dakota because she's made uh, a lot of headway during the pandemic as she refused to uh, have lockdowns and, and the like in her state. And uh, and she got a lot of flack for it. And, and I think she's led well uh, during this time. And she will be a political player uh, for years to come. Uh, we'll see what that means for her at a national level in the near future. But right now, she has really made a name for herself, and, and she's focused in her State of the State address on uh, abortion uh, because of Down syndrome. She said this, Even today, in 2021, some European countries like Iceland and Denmark, um, some European countries like Iceland and Denmark are on pace to virtually eliminate children with Down syndrome. She said this, They do this one way, and one way only, and that is through abortion. Indeed, a few years ago, CBS News published a feature piece on how Iceland had been, quote, eradicating Down syndrome births, end quote. In reality, the country has seen a sharp rise in the number of women who choose abortion after receiving a prenatal Down syndrome diagnosis. In other words, Iceland hasn't been eliminating Down syndrome at all. It has been eliminating people with Down syndrome. Noam said this, quote, I look forward to the day when the Supreme Court recognizes that all preborn children inherently possess the right to life. Until that time comes, I'm asking the South Dakota legislature to pass a law that bans the abortion of a preborn child just because that child is diagnosed with Down syndrome. The Republican governor added that her team would be working with pro-life groups to present draft legislation for state lawmakers to consider this session. In late 2019, Republicans in Congress introduced a bill that might serve as a model called the, the Down Syndrome Discrimination by Abortion Prohibit, Pro, Prohibition Act, which would forbid abortion providers for, for performing abortion salt because the fetus had been diagnosed with Down Syndrome. The legislation contains privacy protections for pregnant mothers, forbids the use of coercion against them, and bars them from prosecution. So what what the governor of South Dakota is doing is something that many governors are looking at, many legislatures are looking at. And I remember that article that CBS put out a couple years ago. I, when I actually when I read it, I shared it. Because when I first read it, I, I didn't pay much attention to it and I thought, "Wow, they are in a they're with science, they're able to uh limit down syndrome." And I thought, "What what are they doing? That, that's pretty remarkable." And then I read the article and they're not by science. They're not, you know, messing with genes or anything like that. What they're doing is if a prenatal diagnosis comes back that the child has Down syndrome, they're aborting it. They're just getting rid of it. So they are eliminating Down syndrome. But by the only way to do that is by aborting a child that has Down syndrome. And here's the fact. Some of these kids may have Down syndrome, some may not, because the baby hasn't been born yet. And yet, they are, they are diagnosing these, these children with this, and then they are encouraging the parents to abort. And then they're writing articles, because we live in abortion culture, they're writing articles that say, we are eliminating Down syndrome in Iceland. No, you are aborting babies with Down syndrome. You're not eliminating it scientifically. You're eliminating it by ending heartbeats. That's what you're doing. 
I just read a story the other day of a, a guy with Down syndrome completed the Ironman. Do you know what that is? That's a marathon. It's, it's a triathlete. He's a triathlete. And they're saying by this policy that those, those people aren't worth living, aren't worth saving. Let's start over again. Shame on us. So, so as we look at what is happening in a normal scenario, in a normal society, aborting children just because they may have Down syndrome would be looked at as uh, inhumane. But we live in a secular society, a selfish society, a culture that, that says it's about me, not about others. And so when you live in that selfish society, when hardships may come your way, what you want to do is run from the hardship. That's what you want to do. You, you don't want to run and go, well, this may be a stormy season for us. No, instead, you, you want to go, well, I want to take the easiest route possible. I was talking to my, my son last night. We were sitting there at gymnastics. And my daughter was, was in her class. My son had already had his class. We're sitting up there in the bleachers. And Gavin is saying he wants this and wants that. And, and can I do this? Can I do that? And I was like, look, no, you can't. We're just going to sit here. He was like, I have nothing to do. I have nothing to do. And I said, well, I don't have anything to do either. We're just sitting here. Let's talk. And he said, it isn't fair. And I looked at him and, and, and I, you know, when the words came out of my mouth, I felt like, oh, I'm an 80 year old man now. And I said, you have no idea how easy you have it. I said, every kid in this building is living a pretty amazing life. You didn't have to go and pick your own food this morning. You didn't have to walk outside barefoot. You got to sleep in a comfortable bed in a comfortable house. You get to watch TV. You get to go to gymnastics. My kids are homeschooled, so you get to learn at home. Get to wear pajamas all day if you want. But but yet we, we have this sense of, but it's not fair. Life is rough. Yeah, some days life is rough. Some days it is. And I apologize for that. But if you're a Christian, you know that when Genesis 3 occurred, when sin entered the world, life was rough. Fractured everything. So yeah, there's days where you're going to have to work long hours. There's days where you're going to have to work in, in crappy weather. There's days where you may find out you have COVID. There's days where you may find out you have cancer. Where a loved one gets sick. But, but see, we have created a society where we want to run from friction. We want to run from hardship. We want to eliminate hardship as much as we can. And so it creates this softness in us. And when I say softness, I'm not meaning like we should be tenderhearted. The gospel compels us to be tenderhearted. But it creates this softness in us. 
And then we write headlines like, we're eliminating Down syndrome in Iceland. When the headline should read, via abortion, we are making sure babies with Down syndrome are never born. We're eliminating humans. Because it's, you know, it could be tough. It could be tough to parent that child. So I applaud the governor of South Dakota. I think other governors should push for this legislation. I think legislatures across the country should push this legislation. Because we should stand up for the vulnerable. Our laws should protect the vulnerable in our society. So we applaud that when it happens. We'll be back. That song takes me back. I haven't heard that one in a while. That's a good one. Uh, so, so as we as we finish up last segment, was well, second to last segment. I, I wanted to, to look at uh, what President Elect Joe Biden is preparing to do, and and I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. Th- this is what happens, right? I mean, when 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 parties when political power bounces back and forth between political parties especially when when certain people in power use executive action it is real easy to undo everything that has been done on both sides and so this article this news shouldn't surprise you this is what we expected i told you for months that joe biden's administration will be the most pro-abortion administration we've ever seen. I hope I'm wrong on that. But the fact is, he's going to be president. He's going to be sworn in tomorrow. We need to pray for him. We need to pray for that administration. Pray that his heart would be softened to uh, the issues that matter. But this is what, what we've been talking about. This is why we don't sit around biting our fingernails, hoping for all hope of uh, the person in the Oval Office. He's a sinful man, just like the last president, just like the president before that and the president before that. And and if you put all your hope in the Oval Office, you are going to be disappointed. Do we want to hold them to a higher calling? Absolutely. Do we want to hold them to a high standard? Absolutely. Do we want to engage and, and interact with our legislators? Absolutely. But we don't just sit back biting our nails saying, oh, hope is found or lost based on who occupies the office. That is idolatry. And it's unsustainable. If you are a Christian, you know how all of this ends. Rest in that fact. But with that being said, here is what a President Joe Biden plans to do. He has indicated that he will reverse the Mexico City policy which bars foreign organizations receiving U.S. funding from providing abortions, abortion information or abortion referrals. He's also promised to restore federal funding to Planned Parenthood, to repeal the Hyde Amendment, and to renew legal action against the Little Sisters of the Poor. Now, the reality is, this article says he has promised to restore federal funding to Planned Parenthood. Newsflash, they've always been paid. During the Trump administration, they received just as much money as the Obama administration. And during the Obama administration, they received just as much money as the Bush administration. So don't act like Planned Parenthood hasn't been funding, been, been funded by the federal government just because there's a Democrat in office. That's not the case. Republicans have failed in this 
every single year. Across the board. And we should hold them accountable for it. Biden says this, if I'm elected, I will restore the Obama-Biden policy that existed before the Supreme Court's 2014 Hobby Lobby ruling, providing an exemption for houses of worship and an accommodation for nonprofit organizations with religious missions. Biden said in July, when the Supreme Court ruled to uphold conscious exemptions from former President Barack Obama's birth control mandate, the Little Sisters of the Poor have emphasized that allowing an administrator to provide birth control to their employees still violates their religious beliefs since this would be causing the sisters to provide contraception to their employees merely through a third party. Additionally, the president-elect has promised to codify, codify Roe v. Wade. Pro-life advocates have repeatedly praised President Donald Trump's steps to protect the unborn throughout his administration. These advocates also warned that the Biden administration would be the most pro-abortion ticket in history. It's certainly disheartening, but we aren't going to give up, and we will do whatever we can to stop abortion from being promoted. This is uh, Carol Tobias uh, of National Right to Life. She said that. Pro-abortion activists look forward to the Biden administration as an opportunity to gain ground lost during the Trump administration. They say this, we have a ton of work to do to undo the harm over the last four years, but knowing we have champions there who understand what needs to happen in the first hundred days is tremendously exciting. That was Planned, Pre- Planned Parenthood's President Alexis McGill Johnson talking with NBC. Biden has taken a hard left stance on abortion access throughout his 2020 presidential campaign, though he formally voted against a number of pro-choice laws as a senator. He told the Catholic a newspaper in March 1986 that abortion is wrong from the moment of conception. Biden said as recently as 2006, I do not view abortion as a choice and a right. His campaign confirmed to NBC on June 5th of 2019 that though he supported Roe v. Wade, he still supported the Hyde Amendment, which bans the use of federal funding for abortions. The statement was met with strong backlash from pro-abortion groups, left-wing activists, and fellow candidates, including his now Vice President Kamala Harris. Within 24 hours of reaffirming his support for Hyde, Biden announced on June 6th, one day later, that he could no longer support an amendment that cuts off abortion funding. Harris has been a consistent and strong pro-choice activist for many years. Uh, She has a 100% voting record with the National Abortion Rights Action League, congressional record on choice for every year that she has served in the Senate and voted against both the Born Alive Survivors Protection Act and the Paying Capable Unborn Child Act. Before she dropped out of the 2020 presidential race, Harris had announced a um, Medicare for All plan that promised to provide comprehensive reproductive health care. That means abortion and establish a list of states that would be banned from imposing pro-life laws without the approval of the Department of Justice. The Data Caller News Foundation repeatedly asked the Biden campaign in November how far along into the pregnancy abortion should be permitted. Uh, The DCNF also pressed the Biden campaign to address President Donald Trump's accusation that Biden supports abortion until birth. Neither Biden nor Harris have clarified where they draw the line on abortion, and they did not respond to requests for comment now now why do you think they haven't responded because they don't want to come out on record and say of course we're for abortion up to birth they don't want to say that on record that's what their policies say but they don't want to say that on record because the first question that you would have to follow up with after they said well i think you know let's say they said at at eight months or at seven months or at 20 weeks my question would be So at 19 weeks, six days, no abortion. But 20 weeks, 
abortion's okay. 24 hours later. You see, that's how you get them to answer these questions. That's how you get them on the record. But when we turn this into just a simple political issue, then we're not seeing the faces of babies on ultrasounds. We're not seeing the faces of moms struggling with an unplanned pregnancy. We're not seeing these things because now it's an issue. It's just a political issue that we can kick back and forth and argue about and fuss about. But when we actually see the pictures, when we actually see the faces of the babies that are being aborted, when we actually see the families that are directly dealing with this, that changes things. You know, it's even like with with COVID. For a long time, people were like, I don't know anybody that has COVID. I don't know. I certainly don't know anybody that's died of COVID. Well, now pretty much everybody knows someone that it's at least had it, had a bad case of it, of it, or had a mild case of it. And you probably know someone that has lost a loved one. Maybe you have lost a loved one to it. So it begins to show, oh, this may be something more than what I thought in the beginning. Well, with abortion, it's the same thing. When we simply say abortion or ending uh, or, or reproductive rights, the reason why we say those things is because that doesn't humanize what's happening. It makes us uncomfortable to say that, that li- a life is being ended. So we say it's reproductive rights. A woman has the right to choose. Well, what is she choosing? Abortion. Well, what is abortion? It's a reproductive right. Well, what is that exactly? What is happening in that moment when the abortion occurs? One moment you have a heartbeat, the next moment you don't. What does that mean? One moment you have life, the next moment you don't. Well, what happened then? Well, I guess a life was ended, right? Well, if a life was ended, then shouldn't we wrestle with that a little bit? Shouldn't we? But you see, we choose not to wrestle with it. We choose to dehumanize by saying, well, it's abortion. It's reproductive right. It's woman's right to choose. It's Roe v. Wade. We've had this right since 1973. And then they start saying, well, they'll use coat hangers if we, if we restrict abortion. No, they won't. And, and so we, we refuse to talk about what's actually happening because it makes us uncomfortable. And I just talked about last segment that we're we're creating this soft society. So we don't want to be uncomfortable. That's the last thing we want. But the reality is a successful abortion means a life was ended. That is what a successful abortion is. What is a failed abortion? What is a botched abortion? Define it. A failed or a botched abortion means the baby survived. Survived what? The abortion. The, the abortion that was trying to end its life. I mean, come on, folks. This is why we're passionate about this. This is why we need to be honest with our conversations. This is why we need to really wrestle with what is happening. But a secular society or an indifferent society isn't going to have those tough conversations. They're just going to say a woman's right to choose, reproductive rights. They're not going to define what is actually happening. 
But the reality is, before an abortion, you are pregnant. What does that mean? It means something is growing inside of you. It means you are going to have a baby. When women get pregnant, they have baby showers. They have gender reveals. They have all of these things. After an abortion, you are no longer pregnant. So what had to happen? The life growing inside of you had to end, had to go away, had to be taking, taken out. That's just the facts. But we don't want to wrestle with that. But we should. That's why it's more than a social issue. It's a gospel issue. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we finish up today, hopefully, hopefully today was productive. So it's worth the conversation. Look, look, you know, I I don't expect much when it comes to pro-life initiatives of the new administration. I, I don't. Never was going to expect much. Uh, frankly, I, I don't expect much of any administration when it comes to pro-life initiatives because many of them don't know how to even handle the issue. They don't know how to talk about it. They don't, they don't know people that have really dealt with it. And, and so, and so it's, it becomes just a political talking point. It, they're, they're playing lip service, but their, their policies and initiatives don't really back that up. That's why every year you see senators and congressmen and local and federal level Saying we need, we're going to defund Planned Parenthood. Well, if if you just did it, you wouldn't have to campaign on it every single time you're on the campaign trail. But the reason why you campaign on it every single time is because it, it's, it makes for good political fodder. So we want to campaign on it. It's the dog chasing the car. The question is, what happens when the dog catches the car? Well, that's not the goal. The dog doesn't want to catch the car. He wouldn't know what to do with it if he caught it. He wants to chase it. That's what politicians do. They just chase cars. They don't want to catch it. Some of them may. Many of them don't. They want to continue that chase to say, we want to see a day where Roe v. Wade is overturned, but really we don't, because then that's going to lose us fun, uh, political funding. That's going to lose us one of our main staples that we campaign. We campaign against abortion, and we campaign against Roe v. Wade. Well, if that's overturned, then what are we going to campaign about? And see... I would say the goal should be to catch that car. So we need to have a plan in place for catching the car. And I'm afraid they don't have one. And that's why I don't lose sleep and get all in a, in a tiff about who is controlling the Oval Office. Because my hope isn't placed in there. Am I for pro-life candidates? Absolutely. I vote for them 100%. That's the issue for me. But we can't just stop there. Are we engaging in our community, in our society? Are we helping that, that young mom that's facing an unplanned pregnancy? Are we partnering with pregnancy centers? Are we praying for those that are in need? Are we opening our homes to them? Are we donating to causes that are doing great work? Or are all of our don, are all of our donations going to political candidates? And what are we doing? Where are we, where are we going with that? And so I do believe there will come a day where Roe v. Wade is overturned. I don't know when that'll be. But even that day, it's not over. You have states right now preparing for that day. 
New York, Illinois, and many, many others that are becoming pretty much sanctuary cities for abortion. Come and get your abortion at any point. We'll pay for it. And so what we have to do as the church is step up, love our neighbors well. When we have dialogue and conversations with people, we have to articulate ourselves in a way that plainly lays it out. We don't have to do that by yelling. That's what I try to do here every single week. Now, we are going to to mess up sometimes. There are going to be times where I yell because I get frustrated. Been there, done that. But again, it is for us, it shouldn't just be about a policy change. It shouldn't just be about overturning Roe v. Wade. It shouldn't just be about a law on the books. It should be about a day where humans aren't being dehumanized. Where life is cherished. Where abortion would be unthinkable. It's amazing to me that we have progressed to the point that we progressed in our in our society and country with everything that we have at our fingertips. Yet, we still end the lives of babies in the womb. That's not civilized. That's not progress. That's not progress. Yet here we are. And so what do we do with that? Well, we get involved. Partner with pregnancy centers. Partner with us at Hope here in Knoxville. If you're somewhere else, partner with the pregnancy center in your area. There's 3,000 of them across the country. Partner up. Put your money where your mouth is. Put your volunteer times where your mouth is. Put your prayers where your mouth is. We made a lot of great strides, not because of who's in the Oval Office, but because we believe this is a gospel issue. And we believe that, and when we when we put that effort to uh, to work, we'll see a difference. I promise. But it's got to start with you. It's got to start with me. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>